Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at John chapter 6. We're going to continue on today. We've been looking at the feeding of the 5,000. And last week, we really focused on two things. Uh, one was the expense of feeding a large crowd. I talked about that like at holiday times. If maybe you're the one who hosts the Thanksgiving meal, you know how expensive it can be to host a large crowd, to feed a large crowd like that. And Jesus, we saw in, in verses 6 and 7, he was testing Phil, Philip. He looks at Philip, and he sees the crowd coming from a distance, and he says, where can we buy enough food for all of these folks? And Philip's response in verse 7 says this. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Okay, 200 denarii. I talked about that last week. It was uh, one denarii is about one day's wage. So 200 days' wages would not be enough for them to just get a little, okay? Not even to be filled, not even to have a full, like just for them to get a little bit, 200 days worth of wages wouldn't even be enough to accomplish that, right? Feeding a crowd, feeding a crowd is expensive, but feeding and satisfying and meeting and fulfilling the souls of men Feeding the deepest need of mankind, feel, filling that deepest ache of, uh, of their soul, to have their sins removed, completely cleansed, to have a right standing before God, entrance into his eternal rest. How much would you pay for that? How expensive is that? Right? I always talk about how there's this ache and this longing in mankind. And what if I had to put my finger on it, like, what is that? It is us just to be deemed right. To be deemed okay. To have somebody look at you. Do you ever have somebody just look down and you go, hey, you're awesome. You're great. There's nothing more you need to do. There's nothing, like, you, just as you are, you are awesome. You are great. And I think like each of us, we long for the God of heaven, the God of all creation to look down on us and go, well done. You are right. You are in good standing with me. And how expensive is that status? How much would you give for that status? The sobering reality to it, though, yet a liberating truth to it all, is that you can't buy that. You can't do anything to achieve that beautiful status of sins removed, completely cleansed, spotless clean, in right standing before God. Thus enters the bread of life. Thus enters Jesus to meet the deepest hunger of our souls, that God-shaped hunger manifesting itself in loneliness, in emptiness. We try to satisfy it in so many earthly ways, sometimes even destructive ways like alcohol or drug abuse, relationships and sex and pornography and money and success and prestige and power, all of it costing us just a little bit of our souls, a little bit of our hearts, trying to fill this hunger, trying to fill this longing that can only be satisfied by the bread of life. Jesus, the eternal word of God, that bread from heaven that came down, the one that the manna in the wilderness was all about, he would pay the expensive price of feeding the soul of mankind if we would just do one simple thing, and that's believe on him. 
put our faith in him, and he would do it. His body would be broken, and his blood would be shed, and he would pay the price for our redemption. Praise be to God. That should excite you. There should be more amens in this room right now. The work of Jesus is sufficient and full. And there is this reality that you and I can't do it. And it's daunting. It's like, oh my goodness. Like, I can never, ever, ever, ever do it. You're absolutely right. Jesus did it for you. You place your faith in him. You place your trust in him. You put your believing in him. And then everything else in your life becomes worship unto him. How costly the price, but what such a beautiful gift from Jesus. So the first thing we talked about last week was the expensive nature of feeding the crowd. The second thing we talked about was the crowd's motivation for seeking out and following Jesus. Verse 26, Jesus answered them. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Right? He says, you're seeking me, you're, you're, you're finding me out, you're looking for me, you're following after me because your bellies are full. Jesus to them was just a merely uh, useful tool. Jesus was just a tool to their satisfaction, for their, their physical, natural needs being met like their full bellies. So much so, um, he was so useful to them that they almost took him by force and made him king. So I asked you last week, in your life, is he merely the useful giver of bread, the giver of blessings, or is he truly the bread of life, the greatest blessing himself? You know, I, I remember growing up hearing pastors talk about seeking the face of God and not seeking his hand. A lot of times, that's, that's how we see it, right? Like, I know what God can do for me. I know what Jesus can do for me. And sometimes it's like awesome things. It's not even like, um, uh, like health and wealth and all of the, you know, prosperity gospel stuff, but even just like joy and peace and all that stuff. But I go to him just for the stuff, just for the things from his hand, the bread that he's feeding me, the blessings he's feeding me, instead of truly cherishing him, the person of Jesus, the bread of life himself. Don't make Jesus a means to your end, for he is the means and the end himself. He's the way to eternal life, and he is the bread of life. So last week, those were the few elements that we looked at. There were a couple of other elements of that story, of that narrative, that I didn't say a whole lot about. And so today, I want to look uh, at one of those elements. And so if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 6. We'll start in verse 5 this week, and uh, we'll go down for a few verses, and we'll jump around a little bit. So... John chapter 6, verse 5, it says this, Lifting up his eyes then and seeing the crowd, uh, the large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, 
That's a big statement, okay? People back then, they never ate their fill. They ate enough just to kind of get by, like the, coming up with food and, and, and drink and all of that stuff. It was, it was one of those where it, for them to sit and to completely eat their fill was a rare thing in these ancient days. And when they had eaten their fill, verse 12, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and they filled the 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that they had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Let's pray before we move on this morning. Father, again, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the absolute truth that we hold in our hands. God, that this beautiful book, this spirit book, reveals to our spirit, to what the spirit is doing in us, the truth about God. God, today I pray that you would reveal to our hearts you. God, that we would see you, that we would behold you, that we would cherish you, and that we would radically follow you. That if there's repentance that needs to be had in our lives today, that we would be bold enough to repent. Not just saying I'm sorry, but to repent, to turn and make action, take action in our lives. God, that we would boldly and beautifully, wholeheartedly follow you and watch you fill us and just have you sustain us that we might live to the glory of your name. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you guys enjoy what you do for a living? Do you enjoy what you do for a living? There's giggles. Why are you laughing? It's not a, it's not a funny question. But I know like, there's a lot of people that maybe don't enjoy what you do for a living. My father, my father worked for 44 years, I believe it was, in the same job in a foundry, getting dirty, working with his hands in a hot foundry. And I know that he didn't enjoy what he did. And he did it for 44 years to provide for his family, to provide for me and my brother. And, uh, but I know he had other dreams. I know he had other things that he would much rather do. Do you enjoy what you do for a living? For the most part, I do. For the, and, and I say that, it's kind of funny. For the most part, I do. I love it. I love what I do. And it doesn't come without its challenges. 2020, there was a couple of moments there where it got a little iffy, I'll just tell you. Not really, but it was hard. But I think about this one, one, once in a while with the disciples, right? I think about the way that Jesus called them and what they walked away from. We don't know a lot about all of them, but we know that a few of them were fishermen, right? So Jesus, they're actually the, the sons of Zebedee. They're with their father Zebedee, and Jesus calls them, and they leave their dad in the dust. They're mending nets. They're fixing up the nets, and they're getting ready for the next day's fishing, and they just leave dad there with their work. We know that Matthew was a tax collector. We know that he walked away from probably a pretty lucrative life of being a tax collector. But Jesus took each one of them, and he called them, and he took them from what they were doing, the thing that provided for them, and he put them to work. I think it's astounding that when Jesus calls his disciples, he doesn't say, come and follow me, and I'm going to save your soul. Come follow me, and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to uh, establish my kingdom. But what he says is, come follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Come follow me, and, and get to work. 
Come follow me, and, and we're going to save souls from here on out. And that's our job too. Think about it. Christ came to you. He called you by name. He reclaimed you and repurposed you. You're like the ultimate HGTV show, right? Except you're not an old dresser that was found on the curb that they threw some chalk paint on in distressed and then called it farmhouse chic and then charged 200% more. Anybody else doing that? It's like a whole thing right now. He reclaimed you and repurposed you for his glory to reveal him. And just a plain question, it seems silly to ask it of a bunch of church people, but are you truly living that purpose? Are you living your purpose in Christ? When he called you, did everything change? It should have. The compass of your life was pointing to Meville. It was pointing to me. It was pointing to my ambition and my goals and my trajectory and my living for me. Jesus called my name, said, Kevin, follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Turned on a dime. I had to. And for me, it just turned out that it turned into vocational ministry, that I would do this and, 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 and be involved in church ministry in the way that I am. But for every one of us that's been called by his name, that same moment happens. I had this conversation, I think, with my son just last week or two weeks ago. Like, I have to do what I do. I have no choice. If, if the church fired me tomorrow, I would still have to preach the word of God. I would have to pay my bills another way, and that's fine. Like the check or whatever, I don't do this. COVID proved this. I don't do this for the money. Nor should anybody. But I do it because he called me by name. He reclaimed me and repurposed me for his glory. And I think about some of the things uh, that these disciples were probably called from. And Jesus says, follow me. We got work to do. Follow me. Let's get to work. Not for um, just meeting our needs, paying our bills, feeding our bellies, but for the kingdom of God. The disciples followed Jesus at his calling. They turned the back on their own lives, the old things that they trusted in, the old things and the old ways that they worked so hard for provision. And they believed on him. They believed in him. Remember the, the, the definition that we've been using there, right? The, the word believe in the Greek has, has a fullness of, of definition that we don't fully grasp a lot of times. The one that I keep landing on is to believe on Christ is to cast your life upon him. At his calling, they took their life and everything they trusted in, everything that provided for them, and they casted it, they, they put it at the feet of Jesus. They turned and they followed him. And guess what? Jesus never let him down. Never hung him out to dry. Let's read our text again. Verse 11 of John chapter 6, it says, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted and when they had eaten their fill, he took his disciples and said, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. 
So they gathered, gathered them up and filled the 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Something kind of struck me, and actually it struck me after I, I, was, I was listening to a pastor, a commentator uh, on this passage. Something struck me. How many baskets were left over? Twelve. The answer is twelve. Um, how many disciples are there? Twelve. Um, in Scripture, over and over and over again, right, there's symbolism. There are symbolism to different numbers and different things like that. We looked at some of that earlier in, in the book of John. Um, some scholars, they say there's 12 baskets left over symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel, right? That, that the food was for Israel, that Christ had come into the world as the Messiah, the long-awaited one to fulfill, to, to fill those 12 baskets left over that he is part, the, showing again that he is the long-awaited Messiah fulfilling the old covenant. Remember, he turned water into wine. Remember all the symbolism that we talked about in that, the new covenant in his blood. Remember John's baptism, one of cleansing and repentance, right? Jesus, that living water, the bread of life, the bread of heaven that feeds Israel. One pastor, though, that I came across uh, over the last couple of weeks uh, pointed out something beautifully about this. That that leftover food that was collected, it was 12 baskets, but there were also 12 disciples. One for each of them. There's 12 leftover baskets for the ones who are repurposed and reclaimed for the glory of Christ Jesus and the expansion of his kingdom. He called them to be about the will of the Father, and he provided he took care of them. There was a basket for each of them. I thought, wow, when he does call us, when he does purpose us, when he calls the disciples to, to turn their back on fishing, to turn their back on the family business, to turn their back uh, from uh, a very lucrative business like tax collecting, follow me. He, there, we've got work to do, but in that work, you're going to be fed as well. And fed where there's going to be leftovers, where there's going to be plenty. That Jesus satisfies his disciples in their doing. John chapter 6, verse 26 again, it says, Jesus answered them. I'm going to jump down just a few verses here and look at this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Right? He's talking to the people. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has sent his seal. He says, don't work for the food that perishes. Work for food that endures to eternal life. In a few minutes here, we're going to look at it. So what's the labor? The labors believe. Have faith. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Cast your life upon him and let that life be marked by beautiful, worshipful obedience. I was thinking about the food that perishes. You ever find a bad potato in the pantry? Like, I see faces right now. I see like, ugh, ugh. You know what? You, you, guys can, you guys can just smell that, can't you? Horrible. When you find some bad food once in a while, have you ever, like, in the worst way, discovered a bad carton of milk? Ugh. Do not work for food that spoils. The disciples worked hard. 
in fishing, trying to provide for themselves and their family, which is good and right. But everything in this life is spoiled or will spoil because of sin. Everything in this life is either already spoiled and rotten and putrid, or it will eventually spoil. It will rot. It will rust. It will be destroyed. Nothing in this natural life will endure. It is all a worthless chasing of the wind, as it says in Ecclesiastes. And what stinks is that we work so, 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 so hard for stuff. We work so hard to make this life just a bit more comfortable. Maybe to distract us from the pain and hurt and brokenness of sin all around us. But we work so hard for food and for things and for a life and for a purpose that ultimately perishes. Church, please don't be fooled. Don't get caught up simply living for the American dream and waste our life and maybe our souls. Don't get caught up in working for food that is going to perish. As I was reading this today, and I'm looking at the disciples and the way that they obeyed. They just beautifully believed Christ. And when he said, hey, distribute the food, they jumped to their feet and distributed the food. And when he said, hey, everyone's had their fill. Now go around and collect the baskets. And you see that there is beautiful leftovers for them. I thought, wow, they left everything that they knew. The trade that they had plied, the, the family business, all of that stuff. And they followed Jesus wholeheartedly. And he beautifully was their provision, the bread of life, both in the natural world, but also, of course, the bread of life that leads to eternal life. Maybe think of Matthew chapter 6. And these two beautiful sections here, they flow together really nice. It says in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, uh, the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one or love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Flows into another section here. It says, do not be anxious. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which, by, uh, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God... 
So close the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We work so hard for food and a life that is all going to pass away. And we do it partly because we just worry. We do it partly because we know that we need this stuff and we need to, and all of a sudden now we get caught in some other purpose and other life that Jesus was like, hey, follow me. We've got work to do. We've got a kingdom to establish. We've got lives to reclaim and repurpose. I got I to gotta provide for myself. I got to provide for my family. I got it. I got it. I'm the God of the universe. There is no lack in me. There is no, there is no um, shortage in my kingdom. I have enough for you. I am enough for you. If you would just behold me, cherish me, receive me, believe in me, cast your life, all of your life upon me. Sometimes it feels like this life we've, we've created and now are responsible to maintain gets a little out of control. We're stuck in the toil. We're stuck in the work. We're stuck in the struggle. Sometimes just to make ends meet. And I know those moments. I know those moments stink. When you're just struggling kind of to get by. But what's even more tragic is not just that we're struggling, but what but that we work and struggle to build something that's worthless. That we struggle and toil over something that is going to pass away, that is going to perish. So much of our labor, so much of our toil, so much of our lives is for food that perishes. Would your life, the toil of your life, not just your words, but your energy and effort show that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus and his righteousness is first and foremost. And that I'm not simply building, that we're not simply building the kingdom of our household. Let's read our text again. John chapter 6, verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the God the Father has set his seal. And they answered him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him who is sent. Do not work for the food that perishes, he said. Work for the food that endures to eternal life. And what's the labor? What's the work to be done? The work to be done is to believe on him. And that's where things get weird in our life. Because our, our, like I said, our thought of believing is just simply like a feeling in our heart. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe on him. My faith is in him. But have we cast our life upon him? Let him reorient, reclaim, repurpose our very existence. Is the believing of our life marked by beautiful 
beautiful, worshipful obedience. The disciples were called of Jesus and they followed. They placed their faith in him. They trusted in him. They cast their life upon the Messiah and they obeyed when he called. Their believing was marked by worshipful obedience. When Jesus said, have the people sit and distribute the bread, they did it. When Jesus had a miracle for the crowd, he had a miracle for the people and and had his disciples participate in it. How awesome is that? Do you realize that God has miracles for your family and friends? God has miracles for them. Salvation, first and foremost, is an amazing miracle. The dead being raised to life. God has a miracle for your family and friends. Let him reclaim you, repurpose you, and get to work and be filled by him. Jesus had a miracle for the people. He had his his disciples participate in it and bring that miracle to the people. Could you imagine the work that it was for 12 dudes to try to pass out food to 5,000 men? It's hard work, I'm sure. But Jesus is faithful. Jesus filled them to overflowing. There were baskets for each of them. The bread of life sustains them. Jesus has a basket for you. He is faithful. Today, my encouragement to you is stop working for food that perishes. But do the work of believing. Do the work of believing on him, casting your life upon him. Cast the current version of your life upon him. Cast all of that toil at his feet and seek first his kingdom. Place it first in the first most important position in your life. Do this. Do his will. Serve his people. And then trust that the bread of life is going to sustain you in every way possible. And I promise you, he will. I promise you, he will. As the band comes and we go to a time of worship in here, just a few minutes. I want us to examine our lives today. Has Jesus called you by name? I know a lot of you in this room that he has. Maybe even more today he is. Praise be to God. Respond to him. Respond to him. Offer your life to him. Put your faith in him. Put your believing in him. Cast your life upon him and allow him to use you for the glory of his name. Seek first his kingdom. Put his kingdom first. Put his righteousness first. And worry not about your life because he loves you and he's got you. Maybe some of us in this room today, there's some repentance that needs to happen. You know, maybe priorities are out of whack. Maybe we've been working, toiling so hard for the things of this world, for stuff that perishes. Maybe husbands and wives need to get together in this place and go, hey, I think we're out of whack in this area and we need to get some things in line with the purposes of the gospel of Jesus. 
Maybe together as, as a household, as a family, as husbands and wives, we can repent together and make some adjustments so that he and his purposes are fulfilled and we can see the beautiful blessings of being called by him. If that's you in this place. Between you and the Holy Spirit, respond. Have a moment of repentance before the Lord. Maybe as a household, maybe as husbands and wives, you have that conversation and maybe you pray together today. Do it. Awesome. Beautiful. The Holy Spirit prompts you. Respond to him. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And actually, maybe before we sing, maybe just play for just a second and maybe just give people just a moment, just sit in this moment with the Holy Spirit. And then when Nate starts singing, we can all stand and we can worship together. If you need prayer, there's going to be folks from our prayer room kind of tucked in this corner here. Uh, it's a little crowded in that corner, but that's fine. We'll, uh, some folks from our prayer team will be back if you need prayer this morning in your response. And so let's continue to respond to the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I pray that we would not work for the food that perishes, but God, that we would do the work of believing. God, that we would do the work of the kingdom of God that we would truly live the purpose that we have in you. God, that there's places that we probably need to repent of. Some of our living doesn't match up with our words. God, I just pray that you would work in us today. I pray for boldness. I pray for bold decisions life-altering decisions. I pray for boldness when we leave this place today to share your gospel with friends and family. Boldness just to even ask if there's something we could pray with them about. Boldness to put you first, to put your kingdom first in everything that we do. God, I pray for boldness. Help us be your people to live to the glory of your name. We love you. We thank you. Jesus name. Let's just sit here for a moment. Let's do some work with the Holy Spirit. When Nate starts singing, then let's stand and let's worship together.